right, so we're in the series called Easter Exclamations, and what we're doing is we're taking a look at different things that were said out loud to kind of capture a whole story. And, and tonight we're looking at a, a statement that was made by Peter, said, not my feet. And many of you, as soon as I say that, I mean, I hope it's all of you, but I, I, many of you are saying, oh, I know what we're talking about tonight, just from those, just from those three words. You know what we're, we're, we're digging into. But, but if that's you, just hold on to it. It might be familiar territory, but we're going to take a look and, and dig into it. I want to remind you that, that we've, um, when we look at Scripture, the Gospels, that it covers the whole life and, and especially the ministry of Jesus, starting from, um, we, we know, Christmas, Christmas and his birth, but, but his ministry started with a wedding in Cana and turning the water into wine and then uh, calling the disciples. And then there's just this blur of teaching and miracles and travels of, of them all together. And then, and then we come to the, to the end of it where we're focusing in on these weeks where it leads to his, his uh, death and his resurrection and his ascension. So that's what we're focusing on during Holy Week and during this time of year to, together. And last week, if you were here, in fact, even if you weren't here, we still did it, we looked at John 11 and I'm just going to call it the Lazarus incident, right? If you don't know what I'm talking about, you need to go back and, and read it or watch last week's week's message together. Um, but we said that took place one to three months before Passover. And it was a, a, a critical event. It was a turning point, the resurrection from the dead of Lazarus. Lazarus, come out of the tomb. And Lazarus comes out and Jesus raised him from the dead. And it was a turning point because at that point, Jesus' popularity just skyrockets. And why wouldn't it? Everybody who was there from the big city, Jerusalem, went back, told everybody about it, what Jesus did. He brought back a guy from, you thought it was cool when they were blind and now they can see and they were lame and now they can walk. This, he was stoned, he was four days stinky death and he still came out of the tomb just because Jesus told him to. And that was when we said last week that the religious elite started to plan intentionally, very intentionally, Jesus' death. And now, this week, we're entering into um, both in the calendar and in, in our discussions into what we call Holy Week. You know, and I grew up in a church where they didn't really, I don't remember Holy Week being so emphasized. I mean, Easter was emphasized Good Friday, but they didn't go, and it's Holy Week. And for a while, whenever I heard Holy Week, I'd get sort of like, ooh, what kind of a week is that? You know, it's, it's, a, it's just like every other single week in, in my mind. But the Holy Week is a sequence of events that led to the death and the resurrection of Christ. It's and it starts with Lazarus, even though that would be a couple of months ahead, maybe. But, but it starts with what we call Palm Sunday. In fact, let me just show you what Holy Week looks like. It starts with Palm Sunday. It goes um, to Monday, Thursday. And you go, well, what happened to, to Monday and Tuesday and Wednesday, right? Well, there's some things that happened there, um, but they're not your exact day. One of the things is that Jesus went in and made a scene in the temple, flipped over tables and, and confronted them of some things, but we're not sure what day that happened. And then most churches will celebrate Monday, Thursday in some way, or recognize it, Good Friday, which we're doing together here, Holy Saturday, we'll talk about that in a minute, and then Easter Sunday. So, so let's start with Palm Sunday. This is just so we're all on the same page. This is when Jesus enters Jerusalem. Everybody was wondering after they raised Lazarus from the dead, will he still come into Jerusalem for Passover? And, and because his life is threatened, they weren't sure he'd show his face. But he, but he did. So Jesus re-enters Jerusalem. This is recorded in John 12. You can read it for your, yourself. So we go from Lazarus being raised to Palm Sunday where Jesus enters Jerusalem. They all bring the palm branches. You remember that when you were kids? You had them in Sunday school. You lay them down, and, and that's what they did. And they yelled, Hosanna, praise God. Here comes the Holy One, um, the King of Kings. And what's cool is John tells us that when Jesus came in, 
he found a young donkey and he rode on it. And he did that completely intentionally. He he chose to do it um, to fulfill a prophecy about him that said, don't be afraid, people of Jerusalem. Look, your king is coming, riding on a donkey's colt. And that's found in Zechariah 9.9, right? So so, sometimes you hear people go, how... What are the odds of Jesus fulfilling all these prophecies? Well, this one, it was 100%. That's what the odds were, because he chose to find a donkey, and he chose to write it in, and he knew the scripture, and he was revealing to people, if they could catch a glimpse, who he, who he was. So, so that's Palm Sunday, and that really, when you read through John 12, you're going to hear how the Pharisees are getting more and more upset, more and more up, uptight about that. The next day that most churches will recognize is Monday, Thursday. Now, Mondi, I always wondered, what was that? And a few years ago, I looked it up. And it's this Latin for command or commandment. You know, like we, in English, we say, we've been given a mandate, right? That's sort of a form of a, an imperative, a thing we must do, a command. And so in, uh, on, on that last night of his, of his life, Thursday night, he gave commandments to, to the disciples. And that is found in John 13 through 18, right? So 11 was Lazarus, 12 was Palm Sunday, 13 through 18 are the, the events that took place on the last night of his life. So that was Thursday night altogether, the Last Supper. You've seen that picture, that scene. It's the same night as that. And so that's where we're going to start digging in just a little bit together tonight. And then after Monday, Thursday comes Good Friday. And you probably know that's the day that Jesus was, was crucified. That's the day that he, he died. And he did it intentionally. You can read about that in John 18 and 19. Do you feel like I'm telling you to camp out in John this week? You know, if you're writing these down, every day you could read, on the day you could read what took place, just by following along, right? And then we're going to come to Holy Saturday. And in some churches they call that, is that me making the the puffy noise by doing that? Because I'm so out of breath. All right. So Holy Saturday, they call it a day of rest. (laughs) I was thinking it was a day of being dead, Right, but but they you know but it was a Sabbath, so it was a day of rest. And and you know, what was was Jesus really resting? I don't know. I know that there, there's one thought that he was down releasing souls from this holding place, and that's a little above my pay grade to understand exactly what was going on. But from a from what we call it, it's called Holy Saturday, and like I said, people have called it a day of rest. Most churches don't do a lot on Saturdays, right? And then Easter Sunday. You can read about that in John 20, 21. That's the Resurrection Sunday, which we will celebrate next weekend. All right, so Holy Week was always the plan. From the very beginning, Jesus knew what he was going to do specifically this week, specifically on Friday when he gave his life. You remember when we talked about last week a little bit of the, the, the wedding, when Jesus started his ministry? Remember that Jesus went to a wedding and some of his disciple friends were there too and, and they ran out of wine, which is a bad thing at a wedding because these weddings would last for days. And so Jesus' mother is there and he comes, she comes to Jesus and says, Jesus, Jesus, we're out of wine. And his response is just classic. He goes, dear woman, that is not our problem. <laughs> right? My brother says that. You know, when anything comes up, I'll, I'll say, what do you think of this, Steve? And he goes, NMP. They go, NMP. He goes, not my problem. And it's like, that's the end of the discussion. 
He doesn't want to dig into it anymore because it's not my problem. And I thought, you know, that's not bad. You've got to know what's your problem and what's not your problem. And then not take on all the problems in the world. Jesus goes, hey, that's not our problem, Mom. Right? My time has not yet come. And that literally it says, my hour has not yet come. So from the, from the very beginning, he has this sense of an of a internal clock that's, that's on his own from, it's a divine source, it's a God clock inside of him going, this isn't it, this isn't, this isn't the time. But his mother told the servants, do whatever he tells you. Right? And then Jesus, I don't, I don't get it, it's not my time, but yeah, I'll do it for you, mom. So he turns water into wine and saves, saves the party. Right? So that's where it starts, but I just want you to see he's got this sense of time. And then we go to John 13, which we call Monday, Thursday, or the Last Supper. Right? And here's how it reads, right from the beginning of John. It says, before Passover celebration, Jesus knew that his hour had come. His hour had come to leave this world and return to his Father. He knew what time it was. He always knew what time it was. He had loved his disciples during his ministry on earth. When I read that, I always think John's writing this. One of his disciples, you know, and he's going, man, he loved us. How could you write that about somebody who didn't actually love you? He had loved his disciples during his ministry on earth, and now he loved them to the very end. Everything he did was out of love, John's kind of saying. It was time for supper. And the devil had already prompted Judas, son of Simon Iscariot, to betray Jesus. Right, so well, what's that about? Well, um, I don't know exactly how Satan tempted him. We put discontent into him, but this idea of betraying wasn't just Judas's idea. It's, John says that came from hell, that came from evil, and and Judas, you know, he was tempted, he was prompted, but Judas embraced it, and he made a decision. Jesus knew. He knew that the that the Father had given him authority over everything. And that he had, to, that he had come from God and would return to God. You ever wonder when he found that out and figured it out? You know, I mean, he's born and he knows he's special probably growing up. But when did he have full divine awareness? I don't know what the answer is to that either. There's lots of things above my pay grade. But I know one thing when it says, this verse says, he is fully aware of exactly what kind of authority he has. And he's aware of everything that's going to happen. And he's aware of that he would return to God. So he got up from the table, this last supper, he took off his robe, he wrapped a towel around his waist, and he poured water into a basin. Now when I visualize that, I'm always thinking, what were the disciples thinking? You know, what? and it doesn't say they said anything. Maybe they just knew better. You know, don't say anything. We don't know what he's doing. All right? He's taking off his robe. Putting a towel on. What's he putting a towel on for? I don't know. Right? Basin, pouring water into it. Wait, that's for feet washing. You know, the anxiety is kind of building up. And then he began to wash the disciples' feet, drying them with the towel that he had around them. So let me, let me talk about washing feet for a minute. Many of you know that, that just from growing up, that you've probably heard messages in this passage before, that in that arid environment at that time, you know, a lot of them had sandals on or maybe even no shoes on. And what they would do is when they were invited somewhere special to eat, something, a big meal like Passover, they would bathe first, right? But they still had to walk to whoever's house where the supper was being served. They had to move from point A to point B. 
And so their feet would get dirty even though they cleaned the rest of their bodies. And so they would, they would, when they got there, there'd usually be a servant girl. Apparently no servant girl showed up. And she would wash their feet. It was a, a lowly role of someone who was not very prestigious, right, to, to wash feet. So when Jesus, when Jesus put the towel on and poured the water and got down and started washing the first disciples' feet, Right? I imagine the whole room going, you know, stiffening up, right? What is he doing? He's washing, he's washing Andrew's feet. Right? Oh, he's not gonna he's coming this way. He's coming and the anxiety is kinda kinda building up. It it must have been confusing and upsetting and uncomfortable. And it must have increased exponentially as they got closer and closer to, to you, if you're one of the disciples. You know, if like if you're the fifth disciple, the first guy, you're going, well, that's interesting. What do you do? And he's going to the next guy and the next guy, and you're going, I'm next in line. Have you ever been in something like that where, where you can feel your own anxiety raising just because it's getting closer and closer to you? I remember when, when my family, we, we went to Okinawa when I was a kid. <laughs> we had to get shots, right? And my oldest brother had to go first. I was third in Laurel. And I'm going, oh, good for him. He got the shot, you know, just then my next brother got his shot. And I felt my anxiety going up because I'm all of eight years old. And I hate needles. And I still have a needle phobia to this day. So then it became my turn, right? And they just knew I was like white beads of sweat, white beads of sweat, sweat, sweat coming down. My face was pale and white. And they brought the needle out and I watched them and they said, don't, you don't want to watch this. So I turned around. They gave me the shots. I barely felt it, but I passed out anyway. I mean, on the floor, out cold. And, and, and they, they had something they broke open, they put it in front of your nose, the smelling thing, like ammonia or something. And I'm like, what happened? And they said, you're a wuss. And, um, <laughs> but I imagine the same kind of anxiety building. Just It's one inch closer, one inch closer, one inch closer as, as you go through it. What would it be like to have Jesus wash your feet. And it's almost impossible to figure out what that w- would be, but maybe you can grab onto this. Did you know that, that back in the day, kings and like Knights of Templar and, and religious leaders would, would choose, around this time of year on Saturday, they would choose 12 people. And they would, kings, would wash the feet of 12 peasants and, in ceremonial fashion for, for, to celebrate Monday, Thursday, to celebrate that on Holy Week. And did you know that the current Pope does the exact same thing? This is from just a few years ago. He went into a, a juvenile prison, and he washed the feet of 12 kids, 12 adolescents who were, who were in prison. And I, you know, I don't know, you can think what you want about the Pope. It doesn't really matter to me. Which, what, it's not about him. Can you imagine being a kid and having these people come with gold and, and then kneeling down and taking your feet and washing them. And then I'm thinking, well, how much worse would it have been with Jesus? It's the, it's the Pope. I know he's just a guy. like He's like me, flesh and blood and all those things. But still, that would freak me out just a little bit. So I think it must have been really heightened for them. So when Jesus came to Simon Peter, Peter said to him, Lord, um, are you going to wash my feet? He's watched all the other ones. Jesus got the, the same things on, the same basin. And he, are you going to wash my feet? And Jesus replied, you don't understand what I'm doing right now. But someday you will. 
Someday this is going to make sense to you. No, Peter protested. You will never wash my feet. And I think all the other disciples are going, somebody said it out loud. You know, <laughs> Peter's going to die. You know, <laughs> whatever is going to happen here, it's going to be bad. Peter's basically giving us the phrase, not my feet. There's no way you're doing that. And the question is, well, why not? Why not, Peter? Why not let Jesus wash your feet? Well, first of all, we're talking feet. Right? Wash my hand, wash my elbow. And I'm telling you, even though I take a shower sometimes three times a day, depending on my workout schedule, but I bathe regularly. I live in this century. I don't live in the first century. And I'm telling you, right now, if Jesus were here and he said, hey, Doug, take off your shoes and take off your socks, I'm going to wash your feet, I would be extremely uncomfortable. Not because it's my feet, but because of I know right now I can feel the temperature of my feet. You sweat more from your feet almost than any other part of your body. Right? And I, and I, um, my feet don't always smell good, I've been told. Right? <laughs> I don't want them touching my feet. And if I'm the disciples, I don't want them touching my feet. I've been out in the, on the road. And then there's this part of this, it requires humility. This is why not. It requires twice as much humility as, as anything else I can think of. Right? Well, why? Because it requires humility by Jesus. Doesn't it? The, the king of the universe, the creator of everything, kneels down to wash your feet. And then it requires humility by Peter to let him. I mean, have you ever had somebody who want to serve you? And, and you're uncomfortable with them serving you, even though they want to do it for you, they want to help you with it, and you're like, I don't want you to do that. And all it is, there's something about pride or there's something in your way. There's, it just requires so much humility to allow someone else to serve. I, I really enjoy serving other people in many, many ways. Um, not moving you from one apartment to another or house, that's not my deal. But other ways, I really like helping people, right? But, but I don't like being helped so much. And that's not a character strength. That's a character weakness. That's pride that, that gets in my way. I think that's what's going on for Peter. Jesus replied, unless I wash you, you won't belong to me. This is the first indicator that Jesus wasn't just concerned about dirty feet. Because now there's high stakes. Right? Now it's, if I don't wash your feet, Peter, you're out. You're out. We're, 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 we're dumb. Done. We're also dumb, but we're done, right? And, and here's the thing. When, when you get down to Jesus' mission, he came to wash. Everything about Jesus, about, about cleaning and, and forgiving and washing away our sins, and now he's washing away symbolically the dirt on their, on their feet. Physically, he's doing that, but it's a symbol of something greater and bigger. And he says, if I don't wash you, you're not even a part of me anymore. right? And Jesus wasn't just speaking to Peter when he said that. He's speaking to everybody. Hey, if, if I don't wash you, you don't belong to me. If we don't start with this, this whatever your dirt is in your life, and I get a chance to clean you and to forgive you and touch you and wash you and call you mine, you're not going to be mine. Simon Peter exclaimed, then wash my hands and my head as well. I think he even said more than this. My Lord, not just my feet. In other words, wash all of me. He starts taking off his clothes, you know, and 
Jesus replied, a person who bathed all over does not need to be washed except for the feet to be entirely clean. Right? Remember I already told you that special night, they take a bath, they come, their feet are dirty, you don't have to wash the whole body all over again. Right? So that's the, the physical part that he's talking to. What's the spiritual thing he's saying? Well, I'm going to be absolutely candid with you. I'm not entirely sure what Jesus meant. However, and the reason I'm, I'm holding back is because just from reading it, I wrestled with it, and then I started to read commentaries. And of course, they give you ideas what it might mean, but I don't know for sure because we're reading into the text a little bit. And I think I would say that, that Jesus is saying, you know, once you've been baptized, and, and I mean that spiritually, not, not just the water physical, once you've received my forgiveness to wash you, Right? As you go through life, I'm going to keep cleaning you. That's one, one theory. I'm not sure exactly what he meant, but, but certainly he did not want to wash all of Peter that night. That's one thing that does stand out, and, and I get it. I'm, I'm with him. Right? And he says this. He goes on. He goes, and you disciples are clean, but not all of you. For Jesus knew who would betray him. And this is part of Jesus just massaging and moving the conversation where he wants it to go. This is what he meant when he said, um, no, not all of you are, are clean. Right? Did we miss a verse there? For Jesus knew who would betray him, that's what he meant when he said, not all of you are clean. After washing their feet, he put on his robe again, and he sat down. Everybody's quiet. And he asked, do you understand what I was doing? Yeah, 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 no. No, Jesus, we don't... We, We'd be pretending if we said we really got it. Well, you call me teacher and Lord, and you're right. That's what I am. I'm the teacher, and I'm the Lord, and I'm the creator. I'm the Messiah. I've been the one you're looking for. I'm the son of God. I'm the son of man. I'm all those things. I'm the Alpha and the Omega, the beginning and the end. I was here before anything else existed, and I will be here forevermore. Right? You call me teacher and Lord, and you are right. And since I am your Lord and teacher... Since I have washed your feet, you get to go to heaven. No, that's not right. I'm sorry. You are truly God's children because I washed you. No, nope, that's not it either. Your sins are washed away. By the way, don't all those things kind of work? They kind of work? But that's not what Jesus said. What did he say? Since I washed your feet, you ought to wash each other's feet. You ought to put on the robe Take off the robe and put on the towel. Fill the basin with your lives, the way you treat each other, the way you go through this world. You should take the same mission that I have, which is a washing one, a cleaning one, a leave it better one. I've given you an example to follow. Do as I have done to you. And he goes on, he says, I tell you the truth, slaves are not greater than their master. I've done this. I'm the master. You're, you guys have said you're my servants. You follow me around. Uh, you're my, I'm, we're your disciples. We'll do whatever you tell us to. So slaves are not greater than their masters, nor is the messenger more important than the one who sends the message. Now that you know all these things, God will bless you for doing them. And that's where we're going to stop at, at verse 17 for now. So this is the last night of Jesus' life. He knows the exact time. And, and what he does that night, because and, and, that's not the end of the conversations. It goes on in, in much more things, right? There's four chapters to it. But he gives a last to-do list. This is why it's called Commandment Thursday, right? And the first thing he says, hey, wash 
feet. That's John 13. Wash each other's feet. That's a commandment. Do, do what I've done. Right? We may not be sure what it means, but we get the idea it's not really talking about washing feet. It's talking about something, something um, not that concrete. He's talking about something that, how we treat each other, how we love each other, how we care for each other, how we care about the world. And then he says, love each other. Remember, he's a new commandment I give to you. Love each other. That, you can read that in John 13, John 15. If you read those chapters in there, you're going to see he just says, hey, I give you a new commandment. I don't know how new it really was because he'd been talking about this the whole ministry. Love each other. It's, it's so important. It's, it's second to loving God. And then he gave another commandment. Anybody want to take a stab at what that one was? communion last night, I mean last night he gave this communion thing, this is my body broken for you this is my, he gave, he said remember me right and so we celebrate communion that's found in, not in John but it's found in Matthew and Mark and Luke the whole story of, of breaking the bread and pouring the this, my blood is a new covenant for you, pour it out for the forgiveness of your sins right here's my question why do we celebrate communion in church, in a concrete way of remembering with cups of juice and bread. We don't necessarily use wine. And why don't we wash each other's feet? Why don't we have a, why don't we have a celebration sometime when we bring in clean water for everyone and towels and we, we wash each other's feet? We go up to somebody, can I wash your feet? Can I wash your feet? I would like to wash your feet. And I think I have the reason why, because somewhere back in time, when some guys stood around the table and said, what should we do with this? Should we actually celebrate washing each other's feet? You know, and they said, no, I'd rather eat and drink. <laughs> so we have communion. But there are churches that actually do this. There are movements of, of, of people who actually celebrate this way. But I have a better reason for, for not doing it. It's because I think it, was, I think it was meant to be symbolic, not of washing feet, but of being a servant. And that's, that we, we do practice. You can wash feet. It's a tremendous, meaningful thing to do. We, I wouldn't do it this way because some of you would never come back to church again. Right? And, and all of you would take baths if you knew we were going to do it that night, you know, ahead of time. Um, and there's not a need to do it because we don't usually walk open air and, and, and through the dirt. But Jesus said, you know, those are the three things that come out of this last night, the big commandments. Remember me. Remembers, so we celebrate. Now, there's a relationship between, between love, love each other, and the washing of the feet. Right? Here's the relationship. Love each other is the what? What are we supposed to do? Love each other. Love each other, Jesus said. Washing the feet is the how. Washing the feet is... Love each other by serving each other. Love each other by caring for each other. Love each other by discovering needs and, and meeting them. Love each other by really authentically caring for each other. And here's what I think washing feet does for us. Washing feet eliminates love as a mere sentiment. Hey, how's this church? Tell me about that church. Oh, they really love each other. Well, how do you know? Oh, they give hugs. They pat each other in the back. They tell each other, I love you. I love you, man. Yeah, well, I'm moving Saturday. Could you help out? No, but I love you, man. You ever preach to yourself? Anyway. <laughs> uh, it's okay. I could ignore me. And, uh, but it is, you, 
you can't get away. When Jesus was saying, wash feet and do it for each other, you can no longer say, well, it's an emotional thing. We just love each other. Group hug. No, it's not. It's a serving love. It's an active love. It's a put-on-the-towel love. Washing feet is harder. Isn't it? Don't you know that intuitively? Actually going out there and washing feet is hard. Now, some of you, some of you find it easier. Some of you go, Doug, (laughs) I find it easier to go help somebody move than to tell them with words I love them. I get that. There's different wirings. But I want to tell you, we want to be a church that loves with words, and we want to be a people who love with action. And I'm going to show you an example, and I'm going to tell you about two more examples from my life. This first example is what I would call helping someone at more of a programmatic level. like a, It's a project, and we're going to do this, and we organize, and we, we go do it. So watch this and hear Georgian's story. A couple years after the church had helped me get the title of my trailer, I had major maintenance issues with my trailer, and my health wouldn't allow me to do anything. And Merv approached me one day and asked me if there was anything the church could help me with. Well, the pride that I had would not allow me to do so. And Merv kept on me, kept on me. And when I finally said yes, I swallowed my pride and said yes. And a group of people from the church volunteered to come in to help me. My toilet was falling through my floor. My front door was held together by duct tape. I had sheet up with my vertical blinds because half of them were torn down. And I had a leak in my window that was tearing my floor apart. Jason Dover came in and he came in and he did, redid the entire floor. He took everything up. He did some plumbing and repaired my bathroom floor where my toilet is not lo- no longer falling through the floor. Um, Gretchen Forbes and Rebecca Mealy came in and they helped me replace the vertical blinds and repair the patch on the floor. They also painted the brand new door that Merv had purchased through the church. They painted it red and Merv Miller came in and he replaced the front door. Mark Evers came in and he took the caulking off my bathtub and he recocked the bathtub and it took him half the day because I have a huge tub. Chris Nibby and his little daughter came in and they took the entire set of steps down and they took them apart and reassembled them and stabilized them to where I can use my front door and my steps and not fall and fall out. I've used my front door and my front steps since the repair is done. I haven't even touched my back door. And then a couple weeks later, uh, another group of volunteers came in, and they did deep clean on my house. My health was not good. My knees were bad, and I had lost my job. The church helped me help pick myself up. And I thank God for them. Thank God for the family I have in the church. The pride that I had was very high, and I've learned that to swallow your pride and allow someone else to help you is a, also a blessing to them, to where they can share their love and their concern and their skills and their blessings towards yourself. So to swallow your pride is not a bad thing. It's a good thing to choke on your pride and let somebody bless you.
So we could we could have chosen lots of different stories for that. But it's um, we could recreate that one to tell you that story. And it does take someone who goes, hey, there's a need. I'm the one. Remember the song? I can be the one to make the miracle. To plan it, to invite others to join in it. Merv was kind of, I think, driving behind that. And then it, did you hear her talk? She, she didn't confer with me. She had to let go of her pride to allow people to, to help. No, that's the way it is. So, so that's the, the organized level. And we want to do that again and again. We want God to lead us into it. Right? And so... So I'm going to tell you about two from the last week serving opportunities. One, they're about my life. One, I was, we'll see if I was successful. You tell me later. And the first one I'm going to tell you about, I was not successful. So this week, um, Monday, I went golfing. Well, there's a shock, right? <laughs> and uh, I'm on the golf course. I'm golfing with two guys that I know. And um, another guy pulls up, and someone knew him, and they said, hey, you want to join us. And I felt the air kind of go out a little bit because these guys knew this person, an older guy, not a good golfer. And I don't say that to be critical. I say that because, because when you're not a good golfer, you're frustrated when you're golfing with people who can actually hit a ball kind of thing, right? And so he's joining us, and we're playing this 18 holes together. And it took me about one hole to figure out this guy is really mean, Everything, I mean, I've, I don't meet a lot of mean people. I hang out with most of you guys, right? And you're not mean people. By them. This guy was mean. And, and I, I, I even turned to one of my friends and I said, does he just not like me? And he goes, nah, he doesn't like anybody. Right? Okay. And so we're going through and, and everything is short. Everything is kind of angry. You know, and I mean, really, just not a kind word, not, a, not even a civil word the whole time. Just like he's just mean. There came a point when he and I were playing on the same team because we would switch every six holes, doesn't matter. And I put, we played the same, we played the best shot, which was never his. Um, well, it kind of grates on you, right? And then we're, he, I pull up and he pulls up next to me and I go, yeah, my ball's right there. And he goes, I know! I go, well, I'm glad you know. That's good. That's a good thing to know. I didn't say it that often. I just said it's good, right? And I kind of let that go. But here's the thing. If you know me in the family I was raised in, my way of handling this kind of stuff is to tear them apart with words. It's to be extremely sarcastic and, and put them in their place in so many different ways. And I'm skilled. <laughs> right? I, they, they, you know how they give, like, you, you could carry a card to say that your karate is a deadly weapon? I should have one for my tongue. Right? That's how. So, so we're going on, and, and there's a point where, I don't know, I lost my place. I was ahead of him, kind of in the way. And he goes, hey, get out of the way. And I, so I come back, and he goes, we're golfing here. And I couldn't stop myself. <laughs> and I just said, oh, is that what you call what you've been doing? <laughs> and he, I'm going to quote him. Oh, yeah, 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 yeah. And I went back to middle school for a split second, right? <laughs> and I didn't say anything else mean, but that was it. And then, I'm, no, this is the honest truth. I woke up at 2 o'clock in the morning that night. Well, you know, in the middle of the night. And I was awake for two hours. Really realizing how poorly I behaved. Right? Because I didn't know a story. 
people who are mean have a story. There's something behind it. I didn't give him any benefit of the doubt. For all I knew, his wife died last week. I still don't know that, by the way. You know, For all I know, he, he's just barely making it. For all I know, he's got, he was told he has cancer that morning. I, don't, I knew nothing about him. I knew nothing about why he was mean. I know why he can't golf well. He's just not a good golfer. But anything else, I don't have an, an understanding. By the way, when I golf with bad golfers and they get really angry about their game, I, I re- usually remind them that no one is paying them to golf. You don't have to be upset about it. You're paying to be upset here on the golf course, right? I didn't do that to him, fortunately, because that's a little snarky too. And I realized that the next time I meet with him, you know, on the golf course, because I'm not a buddy or a friend, but next, I'm sure on this golf course I'll see him again. I'm going to have to say, you know what, I think we got off the wrong foot. I want to apologize because I, I know I said something that took, you took the wrong way. And I just want to apologize. You know, I know that's ahead of me, right? Because I woke up and I go, that was not very servant-like. It was not very loving. And I, some of you are going, Doug, you're so hard on yourself because you would have done the same thing. I get it. But I woke up not because of me. I woke up because of someone else trying to tell me something. Because that's my failure story. Here's my potential success story. We were, we had a lot of activity here this week, people in during the week, we had a funeral, right? We, we, anyway, so some point after the funeral, I went into the, to the men's room, and ladies, I hope this doesn't offend you, but there are urinals in the men's rooms, and I looked down the urinal, and uh, if you know anything about urinals, there's usually a, some kind of a cake to stop the odor, and there's usually a plastic thing over it, and I'm looking down, and I see that somebody put a big piece of gum in the urinal. So let's be clear about this, that is not what they're designed for. Okay, so, and I went down there and I go, oh, I feel so bad for the cleaning team that's going to have to remove that. (laughs) And it's like this little voice, the cleaning team? (laughs) Right, what, your arm's broken, Doug? Your hand's not working? You know, and, and, and so, oh, yeah, I can't do that to them. Right, I got to serve them. So um, I knew I was preparing this message. I didn't want to screw this up. So I went and got <laughs> got some paper towels, like this thick, and plastic gloves, and and I removed it. And Merv said, "Well, was there any flavor left, Merv?" <laughs> <laughs> so I told <laughs> so I told him where the gum was. Anyway, no, you know, and and um. You know, I did, the, I did, but it wasn't funny. My first thought was not, I got to get that for people. My first thought, maybe I'm still a failure. My first thought was, oh, that poor cleaning team. Yeah. Right? And around, if you go to Crosswinds, you know we, 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 we say this. We say, hey, if you're looking for who the janitor is, find a mirror because it's you. Right? It's you. And it was me that day. So, so that's the cleaning thing. So here's, here's the thing. I just want you to catch. Washing feet is really big. It does include the big group projects the ones we can videotape and talk about, but it also includes how we live. Are we servants or, or aren't we? Are we? Do we look for opportunity? Is it becoming more and more natural to us to pick up the gum, to wash the feet, to care for each other and love other people, to give the benefit of the doubt, to, to turn the other cheek, or do we make a cutting remark about their golf game? Right? It's, washing your feet is how we love 
The, I mean, the words are great, and yes, we'll give those, and the hugs are great, and we give those. But if we don't love with action, if we're not, if we're not becoming servants for each other, yes, and, and by the way, using your gifts and abilities to the glory of God is part of being a servant. But it's not just stuff you're gifted at. It's stuff you can do and should do and I should do. You know, I do not have the gift of gum picking up. I just did it. And it's going to require humility on our part and their part to do those things. Now, I bring you to this point. Later on, you heard Jesus washing the feet. Jesus died. Jesus resurrected. Jesus ascended into heaven. The church has started. And Paul is in prison. And he's writing a church. And I want you to hear how foot washing like he is. He, he, here's what he writes in Philippians chapter 2. He says, is there any encouragement from belonging to Christ? In other words, hey, if you have any encouragement from being a Christian, if you're at all grateful that God has forgiven your sin, washed your life, washed your heart, washed your sin away, do you have any comfort, just a little bit, do you have any comfort from his love? Do you have any fellowship together in the spirit? He's kind of laying it on pretty thick here. Are your hearts tender and compassionate? And then he says this, he says, then make me truly happy by agreeing wholeheartedly with each other. In other words, Protect your relationships. Loving one another and working together with one mind and purpose, unity, something Jesus prayed for in John 17. Then he goes on, he says, don't be selfish. Don't try to impress others. Be humble. Thinking of others as, as better than yourselves. And don't look out only for your own interests, but take an interest in others too and a sincere, authentic interest He's talking about how we love each other. And then he goes on and he says, you must have the same attitude that Jesus Christ had. Though he was God, he did not think of equality with God as something to cling to. Though, you know, he was in heaven, he was glorified, but he didn't hang on to that. Instead, he gave up his divine privileges, his divine being, and he took the humble position of, and a better word I think is servant, uh, when I read the passage in the original language, which I tried, um, position of a servant, and was born as a human being. And when he appeared in human form, he humped. You think foot washing is a big deal? He put on flesh. When he appeared in human form, he humbled himself in obedience to God, and he died a criminal's death on a cross. And it goes on to say that therefore he'll be exalted, and every tongue will honor him and, and, and worship him. But this is what following Jesus looks like. It's washing feet. It's loving with action. It's learning patience. It's picking up gum. It's projects. It's figuring out what your gifts and abilities are and, and, and using them. It's turning the other cheek. It's all those things. So here's how I want to close the service. I want you to think for a moment. We're going to pray. I want you to think for a moment. God... Are there some feet you want me to wash? Is there someone you want me to love by serving them? Is there someone I might need to ask forgiveness for because I I messed up? I didn't love them the way you wanted me to? Is there someone I think I'm too good? (laughs) Show me some dirty feet. Show me where I can wash. God, would would you help me become a foot washer, a servant? pray. God, I do pray that you would either give us an opportunity in our minds that we know we should do, 
or that you would just increase our awareness like mine has been this week of opportunities to serve, to love, to love through action. God, I want this love through action thing to be part of the DNA of this, of my life, but in, in our church together. I, I want a reputation together for love. I want people to walk in and not smell dirty feet, but, but the aroma of servanthood, which is so beautiful. And we've all felt that. We've noticed it. It's something different. It's you in the room being our leader. So God, this week, help us live as servants. In Christ's name, amen.